Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and I love all things tech. And this is the tech news for Thursday, January 7th, 2021. And we are going to pick up with a story that really got started in 2020, and that is the mysterious disappearance of Jack Ma. And that's a billionaire co-founder of the Chinese company Alibaba, which is an e-commerce, retail, internet, you name it, tech company. And he made a speech in October of 2020 criticizing industry regulators in China, as well as the financial industry in that country. And then regulators went kind of nuclear on the company. The company had been in preparation of launching its initial public offering, or IPO, when it becomes a publicly traded company. But regulators canceled the scheduled IPO for Alibaba, and then they mandated that the company had to go through some major restructuring. And it is now under antitrust investigation in China. Ma has not been heard from since that October speech. Now, he may be laying low in China to avoid further retaliation. China's Communist Party might be reeling Ma in a bit uh, to restrict him a little more. He had been enjoying a lot of leniency due to the importance of his business and how it helped elevate industry in China in general. But his absence has led to a lot of speculation. There are people who wonder if he's just laying low, like like a lot of analysts have suspected, to potentially more sinister outcomes, like he might be in custody. And we just don't know. And this kind of illustrates the difficult situation in China for companies in general, not just Chinese ones, but American ones that are operating within China. The Communist Party has a delicate balance between the power it wants to retain and the moves it needs to make in order to build China's economy and make it a, a an even more powerful world power. That is something that the Communist Party has been struggling with for a while. And we have seen multiple instances of the Communist Party becoming more involved directly with company procedures. And it's a general rule of thumb that if you operate a business, particularly a large one in China, you are required to have a member of the Communist Party on the board of directors. Uh, There has to be a presence of the Communist Party in that company. So while Ma had enjoyed a great deal of freedom for quite some time, that looks like it has at least come to a temporary end. And we will continue to update the story as we learn more over the year. Sticking with China, there is more to talk about with the trade war. That's one thing that's been consistent during President Trump's term in office is that ongoing trade war with China. Recently, the president signed an executive order that bans transactions with a group of Chinese apps, among them WeChat Pay and Alipay. And that last one is a digital wallet app that is part of the Alibaba empire, that being, you know, the company that Jack Ma is associated with. 
So this new executive order is kind of similar to a previous executive order Trump signed uh, earlier in 2020 that banned deals with the WeChat messaging app as well as the social media video platform TikTok. Now, the order calls for this new ban to go into effect 45 days after it was signed, but that actually means that the start date would be after the day that President-elect Joe Biden takes office, which is January 20th. So it remains to be seen if this new ban actually has any impact. It could be that Biden reverses it or just doesn't enforce it. And the TikTok and WeChat stories are also still playing out. The ones from earlier in 2020, like that was over the summer of 2020. The U.S. government had been pushing very hard for an American company to take over the operations of TikTok from TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, which is in China. But that hasn't actually happened yet. Oracle and Walmart were set to take over some, but not all, of the stock in TikTok. It would give them quite a bit of influence over TikTok, but not necessarily full control of the company. However, that process stalled out in November 2020, largely because the U.S. government failed to do anything to enforce the executive order. But then, I guess the U.S. government has had a lot on its mind lately. One thing that did happen that relates back to this trade war is that the New York Stock Exchange announced that, in accordance with a Trump executive order, it will delist three Chinese telecommunications companies from the stock exchange starting on January 11th, 2021. And those three companies are China Mobile, China Unicom, and China Telecom. Now, I need to kind of hedge this a bit, because at the time of this recording, that's what the New York Stock Exchange says it's going to do. However, last week, the last week of December 2020, that same entity, the New York Stock Exchange, said they were going to bar those three companies. Then they reversed course and said, you know what, we thought it over and no, we're not going to bar them. And now they say, uh, you know what, we are going to bar them after all. So by the time you hear this, things might have changed. And if you listened to Tuesday's episode of Tech Stuff, you heard me talk about how a UK judge denied a US request to extradite Julian Assange to stand trial for multiple charges, including a computer intrusion charge and several allegations uh, in an indictment, charges then, not allegations, that are related to the US Espionage Act of 1917. Julian Assange, in case you don't know, is often credited as the founder and leader of WikiLeaks, the organization dedicated to publishing leaked reports from companies and governments. Usually it's stuff that people don't want other folks to see. And Assange uh, had sought asylum at the Ecuador embassy in London, but the embassy revoked his asylum privileges and UK officials arrested him. And uh, they arrested him because he had jumped bail for a charge that stemmed out of a 2012 case from Sweden. Well, the judge who denied that extradition claim has also denied Assange's request for bail. 
as the court awaits a U.S. appeal. The U.S. has two weeks to file an appeal since the judge had denied the extradition request. And the reasoning behind this denial of bail is that the judge has declared that Assange represents a flight risk, and considering the fact that the reason why he got arrested by UK officials is that he had previously jumped bail and sought asylum at the Ecuador embassy, I guess you could say there's some good reason for that logic. And while we're on the subject of legal issues, do you know those terms of service that come along with pretty much everything you sign up for these days? You know, I'm talking about the ones that are like, 20 pages long, and hardly anyone ever bothers to read them. Some people do, but most of us, and I include myself in this group, we just kind of scroll all the way down past them so that we can get to the next page and sign up for whatever it is we're interested in. Well, a court in Massachusetts recently told Uber that Uber cannot rely on its own approach with terms of service to force a case that involves discrimination into arbitration. So here's what happened. An Uber user named Christopher Cauders filed this case, and Cauders is blind, and he has a guide dog. And on at least three occasions when he was using Uber to hail a ride, he was denied by drivers to get into the car because he had a dog. And the lawsuit states he's being discriminated against and originally, Uber pushed back on this, and he put, they pushed it to go into arbitration, and they had two big arguments. One is that Uber drivers aren't employees of Uber. This was the whole crux of the Proposition 22 argument out in California, the goal to make sure that these drivers are thought of as contract workers not as full-time employees, that relieves Uber of a lot of accountability and responsibility with them being contract workers. And the second big argument Uber was making was that Cotters had agreed to the terms of service. But here's the thing. To sign up for Uber, Cotters never had to agree to any terms of service. There were links to the terms of service, and they were mentioned on a couple of pages, but there was never a requirement that he actually visit a page that had the terms of service on it. There was never a box he had to click to say, I agree to these terms of service. So the court has ruled that Uber cannot hold Cotters accountable for a contract that he never signed. Now, this does not mean that Cotters will necessarily win his case in the future, but it does mean Uber cannot get out of going to court over the matter. And it might serve as a lesson for other services out there to make sure that when they present a terms of service, that there is a way of tracking that people have actually read it or at least agreed to it. That's why you see that little box typically in the bottom that says agree before you can go any further in the process, it relieves those companies of that burden of responsibility. They can say, hey, you agreed to those terms. Here's the proof. Uber did not have that in this case, and that's where the problem lies. There's a lot more to be said about terms of service in general and how enforceable they are and how legally binding they are. Uh, there are a lot of terms of service out there that 
are questionably legal, but that's a matter for a full episode of Tech Stuff that I'll probably tackle in the future. I have a lot more news to cover, but before we get into any more, let's take a quick break. Well, we're at the beginning of 2021, and next week we see the official kickoff of CES 2021. Now, CES is the big consumer electronics showcase. It's an industry trade show, and companies from all over the world would typically gather in Las Vegas, Nevada for a week in January in order to show off what they have to offer for the following year. And you have all these different industry professionals come to CES. There are, of course, the media, people like me, who go to cover everything, but there are buyers, retailers, all sorts of folks going to see what sort of things are going to be on offer that year to get customers excited and engaged so that they go and spend all their money buying electronics. Well, this year with the pandemic, it's going all virtual. This was a decision that uh, the, the organization that throws CES had made back in 2020, and I think it was the right call. We'll likely have lots of stories to talk about next week as the show actually unfolds. But one thing that we know for sure already is that 5G is going to play a big part of the various announcements at this event. It played a big part in 2020. We expect it to be even more prevalent at 2021. And 5G, just as a refresher, refers to the next generation of wireless data technologies. And there is a ton of confusion and misinformation about 5G. And largely that's fueled by some misleading marketing claims, as well as some crazy conspiracy theories that we will cover in a minute. 5G comes in a couple of different flavors. Depending upon which band of the frequency spectrum you're talking about, because 5G actually covers three different, general speaking, bands of frequencies, you could get, you know, good data transfer rates that are faster than what we would typically see with 4G, or you might hit data speeds equivalent to a fiber connection. We're talking super fast data transfer rates. But that super fast connection depends upon frequencies that don't have a lot of penetration power, meaning they can't go through walls very effectively, and they don't go very far from the source. So you have to be close to the antennas that are transmitting those signals in order for you to take advantage of it. So you're only likely to find that super fast 5G connection in really dense areas where companies can put up a lot of different 5G antennas around the, the space. So you might have little pockets of super fast service, but it's not likely to extend throughout entire cities. And it would be very difficult for you to get it even for your home unless you were to mount an antenna on the outside of your house that's pointed right at one of these 5G towers. The 5G signals at lower frequencies will still deliver speeds better than what we've seen with LTE, and those signals will travel further than the high-frequency ones, but we won't see the results we hear about from marketing materials. It won't be you'll be able to, to download a, a 4K film in a matter of minutes kind of speed. 
Anyway, at CES, we expect to see a lot of devices with built-in 5G capabilities. Samsung is expected to launch at least one true 5G phone while CES is going on, although technically that will be an event that's running concurrently with CES, but isn't officially part of CES. That's something that we frequently see at CES as well. Companies holding their own little events, sometimes just adjacent to where CES is happening. Uh, That's not unusual. It's one way for companies to try and stand out from all the other news that's coming out. So we'll cover more of that next week. Now, longtime Tech Stuff listeners know that I advocate for critical thinking, and this next story is an illustration of why that's important. A software engineer named Mario Fusco blew the lid off of a really dumb conspiracy theory involving a diagram of an electric circuit. Now, according to this diagram, the actual label on the diagram, the circuit was a, quote, COVID-19 5G chip, end quote. So the suggestion was that this was some sort of nanochip microprocessor that is somehow housed within a a dose of COVID-19 vaccine so that if you were to go and get vaccinated against COVID-19, you would be injected with a substance that would include this microchip. And somehow this microchip would directly interface with your brain, with your nervous system, and it would allow somebody else to control you. And I don't think I really need to say this to you guys, but that is impossible. And it's dumb. There is no means for this to magically integrate with anyone's nervous system. There's no conspiracy to control people through vaccines. And likewise, 5G networks have nothing to do with controlling you, other than the fact that it's a communications network, which allows for the transfer of data. So if you do want to get super loosey-goosey, you could talk about how such a network can facilitate the ability for companies to keep track of what we're doing when we do it. But in that case, no one's controlling us. We are voluntarily giving up information about who we are and what we do and what we're interested in. We do that just by carrying our phones wherever we go. That's us being complicit. There's no need for this kind of conspiracy for folks to get a a, a look at what we're doing. Moreover, Fusco pointed out that the circuit that was in that picture, it was a real circuit. It wasn't a COVID-19 5G chip. No, that circuit was a drawing of circuit found in the Boss Metal Zone MT2 guitar pedal. So this is a guitar effects pedal, one that you would plug into an amplifier in in your power chain so that when you're playing guitar you can really have all these different effects on it. In this case, metal effects. So you wouldn't be able to control people, but you might be able to shred on guitar. Moving on, but sticking with phones for a bit, we're going to talk about Verizon deciding to hold off on shutting down its 3G network. See, Verizon first started rolling out 4G LTE service way back in 2012, but it continued to support legacy cellular networks in the 3G range because there were a lot of people who had 3G phones that would not be compatible with 4G. The company had previously announced plans to shut down those 3G networks by the end of 2019, but then Verizon pushed that back to 2020, and now the company says it's holding off on any plans to shut down the 3G network 
probably out of a concern that a lot of the company's customers are still relying on older 3G devices that, again, are not compatible with later generations of cellular networks. Verizon stopped activating new 3G devices on their network way back in 2018 in an effort to kind of sunset the technology, but there must still be a significant number of customers that are on 3G handsets, otherwise Verizon wouldn't delay shutting down the network. Because it costs money to maintain these networks, and that means that Verizon wants to shut it down. If there's no reason to keep it going, then you can consolidate and save cash, not having to maintain these older pieces of technology. It's really likely that Verizon is going to spend much of its marketing budget on convincing customers to upgrade to more current handsets this year. Maybe we'll see some interesting deals in order to create an incentive for customers to move from one handset to another. That might be the case because Verizon stands to save a lot of money by shutting down that that old network. Speaking of data and networks, Comcast, the mega corporation, uh, that is, among other things, an internet service provider, has come under fire from politicians in Massachusetts, back in Mass again. Uh, the company has recently extended their 1.2 terabyte data cap to customers in Massachusetts. The company has similarly done this to customers in lots of other states, including the one I live in. That data cap has been a thing for a long time here in Georgia. And if you go over this data cap, if you consume more than 1.2 terabytes of data in a month, you face overage fees. And the politicians in Massachusetts objected to that. They said that in a pandemic where you've got people working from home, it is far more common for folks to exceed that data cap. And considering the difficult financial situation a lot of people are finding themselves in, you know, people of lower incomes are already struggling to be able to meet the cost of broadband. This is the worst time to have that kind of policy in place. And the politicians further argued that, according to Comcast executives themselves, the company had no trouble meeting the increased demands of service during the pandemic. So they said, you've already argued that the data cap is not necessary. If there's a, a greater demand and you're meeting it, then why is the data cap there? Is it just there to d demand more money? And if so, that's not super cool. So Comcast is currently on the defensive in Massachusetts. We'll have to see how that shakes out. I don't expect my own data cap to go anywhere anytime soon. And to round out this bit of news, Vodafone... Uh, has a subsidiary in Italy called HoMobile. And it confirmed, HoMobile confirmed that it was the target of a severe data breach that compromised uh, consumer data. And the company is now offering to swap out the SIM cards in the phones of all those who were affected by the data breach. And that would be 2.5 million handsets, according to ZDNet. People first began to learn about this breach in late 2020. They didn't notice it by looking at the data centers for Home Mobile. No one at Home Mobile, as far as I can tell, was aware that this was going on. The thing that tipped people off was that someone noticed that the company's internal data was up for sale on the dark web. Yikes. Well, we have a few more news stories that we want to close out this day with. But first, let's take another quick break. 
We're back. And our first story is that David Recorden, best known for his work in open source and open ID technologies, will be the White House Director of Technology under President-elect Joe Biden's administration. And Recorden is wicked smart. He received an award for his work in open source and became the youngest recipient of that award in that award's history, and he has led many initiatives over the years. Open source, for those who do not know, is a philosophy of design where the source code for whatever it is you're building is open for other people to see. They can take it. They can manipulate it. They can make their own versions of it. They can help add to it. They can help improve it and test it. The idea being that if you have an open source project, then the entire world can be your collaborator. And this is a, a, a different philosophy from the way a lot of companies develop their software. Because with a lot of companies, they go a proprietary approach. It is by nature a closed garden. They don't want their competitors seeing what they're doing. But that means that those projects can only be as good as the people who have been hired by that company. Whereas an open source project has the benefit of being open to everybody. I'm oversimplifying. There are different types of open source, but the idea being that with this approach, you're getting the best ideas no matter where they happen to be. You don't have to worry about having the smartest person in the room. You have the smartest people in the world who can all potentially contribute. Anyway, Recordin worked extensively with Facebook on open source initiatives there. He was a software engineer with Facebook. He has also served as an advisor and technical officer in various government positions before. Uh, I recommend checking out one of his talks. Uh, there are a lot of them on YouTube, but be warned, if you're not you know, fairly well-versed in open source technology in general, a lot of it might go right over your head. I mean, it went right over my head, and I've written and talked about this stuff a lot, but Recordin is the real deal when it comes to expertise in this area. And he has said that the United States and the world face enormous challenges from the pandemic to cybersecurity threats and beyond, but that he has confidence in our ability to rise and meet those challenges, which is just nice to hear, and I sure hope it's true. Sticking with Facebook, Back in 2014, Facebook made a $19 billion acquisition when it bought the messaging service WhatsApp. And that was a shock to a lot of Americans, including myself, because a lot of us were unfamiliar with WhatsApp. It has a huge user base outside of the United States, but had a relatively small reach inside the U.S. Well, recently, Facebook updated the privacy policy on WhatsApp, and that has raised some eyebrows in the tech community. The new policy takes effect on February 8th, 2021, and it gives the app permission to share user information from within the app to Facebook. That includes stuff like information about the device that was used to access the app, so in other words, your phone, uh, the IP address, service-related information, interaction information, and more. WhatsApp users will not be given the choice on whether or not to accept those terms because it's all mandatory. If you plan to keep using WhatsApp, you have to just accept the fact that this is going to happen. The only way for it to not happen is for you to not use WhatsApp. 
Facebook says it plans to use the information to improve user experience, but I expect we'll see people raise privacy concerns in response to this move. Let's move on to space. NASA has approved the preliminary design for the Sphere-X Space Telescope, which will be a satellite telescope that aims to study cosmic stuff, like the origins of galaxies and the Big Bang itself. The space telescope will weigh 1.2 tons, but um, only here on Earth, because in space it'll be in you know microgravity, so that's different. It will analyze light in the near-infrared spectrum and will be capable of detecting the different frequencies within that spectrum, which in turn will tell very smart scientists more about what stuff out in space is actually made out of. One thing the scientists are going to be looking for is evidence of inflation. Now, that's not the inflation we deal with in our currency. In this case, inflation is talking about an instant, a, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second, like a billionth of a billionth of a second, when space itself experienced exponential expansion. Imagine that you've got a golf ball and before you can even blink, that golf ball turns into a ball the size of Yankee Stadium. That's the sort of thing we're talking about, but even that scale doesn't even come close to what happened in inflation. Now, there is broad acceptance that cosmic inflation was part of how our universe came to be, but there's a lot that we don't actually know about cosmic inflation, or why it happened, or why it stopped happening, or if it happened. We think it did. But we need to learn more. So this telescope could help us learn more about the fundamental laws that govern the creation of our universe, which is pretty darn nifty. And it also reminds me that, barring any more delays, we should also see the James Webb Space Telescope finally launch into orbit in October this year. I sure hope that happens. Heck, I've got a tattoo because of the James Webb Space Telescope. In fact, there's a video of me talking about the James Webb Telescope while I got the tattoo, and it's over on the Forward Thinking YouTube channel. So you can search for that if you want to see me getting tattooed on video while I talk about telescopes. Slightly related to space travel is supersonic travel. Uh, supersonic aircraft are those that, by definition, fly faster than the speed of sound. As such, they create a sonic boom that travels with them as they move at those speeds. Uh, the aircraft builds up shock waves as it travels faster than sound, and these waves call, cause a buildup and then a release of pressure, air pressure, which then causes that boom. And the Concorde uh, was an example of one of these. It was a supersonic aircraft, but the Concorde has long been out of service. It turned out that it was not economically viable in the long run. But now the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, has set new rules to allow companies to test supersonic aircraft in the United States. And numerous companies, including startups, are looking to bring them back to the skies. Supersonic travel can cover great distances in relatively very little time. For example, a Concorde aircraft made the flight from London to New York in less than three hours back in 1996. That's a trip that usually takes between seven to eight hours, or sometimes longer depending upon conditions. 
So companies have been designing aircraft to do supersonic travel and bring it back for a while, and they've focused on ways to minimize the effects of sonic booms, which is an important consideration because that effect is disruptive, and it tends to lead to restrictions regarding where such aircraft are allowed to go supersonic. Like, typically, you're only allowed to do it over the oceans because otherwise you're going to be causing a boom that travels with you. So if you fly over communities, everyone hears the boom. Now, perhaps in a few years, we'll have new airlines with supersonic service offered to various locations. I don't know where we're going in the future, but we're going to get there faster. And finally, video game analyst Dr. Sirkan Toto predicts that at some point in 2021, Nintendo will introduce a new, souped-up version of the Switch console capable of pushing out 4K resolution video. Dr. Toto had previously predicted Nintendo would launch such a console in 2020, but that did not happen, though perhaps the pandemic had something to do with that. Dr. Toto guesses that such a console would have a $399 price point. Now again, that's all conjecture. Everything from Nintendo actually doing it to what the price would be if Nintendo does it. Nintendo hasn't said anything about any of this. Now, I suspect that if the company does have such a console planned, we're not going to hear anything official until probably spring or maybe early summer, because that's the time of year when video game companies in general start to ramp up and start to market heavily their new products in preparation for the following holiday season. It's to get people excited and to start the process for people to think ahead about, oh, I'm going to get that for so-and-so for the holidays. The Switch continues to perform well in the market. Nintendo has sold more than 68 million units around the world as of November of 2020, and it can still be hard to find them in stock. So maybe don't hold your breath for a Switch Pro. Even if Nintendo does follow through, it might be really hard to get hold of one. And that wraps up this news roundup for Thursday, January 7th, 2021. Tomorrow we will have a classic episode of Tech Stuff. Join us next week for more Tech Stuff episodes, Tech Stuff news episodes, and more me. Because you can't get enough, can ya? But don't worry, I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 